Zechariah chapter 3, and we're going to read the last three verses and spend most of our time on the ninth verse. But the tenth verse is the, is the result of chapter verse 9. It says, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. Behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. Verse 9, for behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will grave, engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall you call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. So in, in verse 9 we have the act, and that is the re, to remove iniquity in one day. And in verse 10 we have the results of that, that's peace. So let's look at this passage of scripture a little more in depth. There we read in verse 9, For behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua... Upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the gravings thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I'll remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Now the Lord Jesus is the purpose, and he is the significance, and he is the importance, and the spirit of all prophecy. When we read through the Old Testament, we're reading about the importance, we're reading about the significance, we're reading about the uh, purpose and importance and Christ as the spirit of prophecy. And in, in this passage of scripture, we really have that honed in on because the Lord of hosts is speaking here and the Lord of hosts is sharing what he will do, what the Lord of hosts. And I, I like to think of the Lord of hosts as the Lord Almighty, because that's really what that word means uh, in the sense. Uh, the Lord here is the spirit of prophecy, as the fulfillment of prophecy, in, even when it looks as if the prophecy doesn't have anything to say, the undertow of all prophecy is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as we know him in the New Testament, the Messiah. Every bit of the human history fulfills the purpose of God. It is not just randomly being thrown out there, but it is fulfilling God's purpose. And uh, even though to our side of the tapestry it looks like it's random at times, on his part, it is completely uh, purposeful. Uh, this word of prophecy tells us of a stone laid down. But this stone, notice here in this verse 9 of this chapter, it says, Behold the stone that I have laid. That's a very important thing uh, to remember here. And this is the Lord of hosts saying this. Behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Now, there are several ways that we could interpret that before Joshua in that verse of Scripture. We could say it was out in front of him, and that might have been. But I think more than that, we have another fulfillment of what we find over there with the words about Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. So it's that kind of before that we have here. This, this whole purpose was before Joshua was even put into the office of high priest. It is before the original Joshua that we read about. And this 
whole purpose of God goes back before the foundation of the world. But notice with me, if you would, in John chapter 26. John chapter 1, verse 26. Excuse me. John chapter 1, verse 26 through 30. We have these words that John is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 26, as we think about that stone being before Joshua, all the purposes of God have been before anything has taken place. Before creation, the purposes of God were before that. And we're thankful for that very thing because God was not caught short by the fall. It was in his purpose. And someone, we were talking today, someone said, how could that be in God's purpose? Well, God has the ability now of showing grace and mercy that he would not have been able to show before the fall if things just continued as they were. And the mystery of uh, the gospel would not be the awe of the angels nor the awe of the church. The mystery of the gospel is a glorious thing and have that revealed to people and cause them to understand, understand the gospel. How, how glorious is that? Here in John chapter 1 verse 26, John, John chapter 1 verse 26, it says, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethsabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, verse, just verse earlier, a couple verses, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now we know the timetable. John was born six months before uh, the Lord was born, but John recognized this fact. John recognized and understood this, that the Messiah was long before him. Abraham was long in centuries before the birth of the Messiah, but he understood that the one he knew as his Savior, that he had faith in, by faith Abraham, he knew that this one was before him and preferred before him and above him. So he's preferred before me, for he was before me. And so John brings up the subject about being before. The Lord was before, God was before, and he's preferred above, preferred before. This stone that is over here, it is a uh, symbolic of the very person of Christ. We're going to read several verses of scripture that uh, the Lord Jesus is mentioned as a stone. Now, he's not a stone in the sense that we have stones around here, the basalt, but it's figurative language. It's metaphors about the Lord and the strength that we have in the Lord and the endurability that we have in the Lord and the unmovability that we have in the Lord are all demonstrated by this picture of a stone. So back there in the book of, of Zechariah, we, we notice there as this is brought out in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 9, for behold the stone that I have laid before, before Joshua, this stone we find that in Colossians, Paul mentions this about the Lord in, 
He is before all things, and by him all things consist. They're all held together. He created all things. He holds it together. He keeps it from exploding in itself or imploding in itself. So he sustains all things. And the message that we have here in all the scriptures is every blessing proceeds from God and that he laid the stone before there was anybody else. He laid the stone before there was sin. He laid the stone before Adam was created. He laid the stone before there were heavens and the earth. And the scriptures we depend on, look to, and have great hope in are the words that declare these very things about this stone. This message of all the scriptures and every blessing proceeds from God, and he is the one that laid down the stone. Back up with me, if you would, to the book of Isaiah chapter 28. In Isaiah chapter 28, we have this prophetic word by the prophet Isaiah, and yet he's preaching the gospel. Just like all the Old Testament gospel preachers did, they were given the word of the Holy Spirit, and the word of the Holy Spirit will glorify the Messiah. The word of the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ. The word of the Holy Spirit will glorify the sacrifice, the Lord Jesus and here in the book of Isaiah chapter 28, we have Isaiah bringing up this wonderful subject. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. How often, how many times in this one verse of scripture, there is emphasis put on different facets about this stone and over in the book of Zechariah, we read about that stone being before Joshua. And then we're going to find out some things that happened to that stone or are pictured about that stone over there. But here in the book of Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And he that believeth shall not make haste, will, will not be brought to rot. It will not... All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. Now, we have a free will within the capacity of our nature. And above that we can't get any further. But thank God he gives us the will, the spiritual drive, the blessing of grace, the new birth, and that allows us to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. And before that, we had no concept of him having us as a child, except we know everybody, read the newspaper, read the obituary column, everybody that dies goes to heaven. Well, we know that's not true, but that's just the reality of human thought. Everybody that dies goes to heaven. Well, we find here that this tried stone has a purpose. This precious stone has a purpose. This cornerstone has a purpose. It is solid. It will not disintegrate. It holds. It's sturdy. It's firm. And we read over there in the book of Ezra about that tent peg being driven down. Well, our tent peg is driven down in the stone. And it is a sure foundation. We are attached to the rock. In the book of uh, this stone is eternal. Would you turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 13? Revelation chapter 13. 
before Abraham was. I am. That he is before Joshua. He's before the priesthood. He's before the sacrifices. He's before the sacrifice that Abel brought. He is before the sacrifice that covered Adam and Eve. He is before all things. And here in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, Acts chapter 13 and verse 48 is a really good verse of Scripture. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, comparable verse of Scripture, where it tells us here about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's the beast whose names were not written in the book of life of the Lamb. Now that's good enough, but he goes on and explains it more to our benefit. He explains it more to the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So he is before all things, and his purpose is before all things, and this stone has been laid before all things, and... In fact, that's the only stone I know of until after the flood. The rest of them, I have an opinion that there was just a lot of good dirt. That's what the world was originally. But the stone now, but this stone has been before time, before the foundation of the world was laid. We have the stone. And as it's brought out here, the lamb, he is a lamb slain. And that's the only way that Abel was able to have these words written about him. By faith, he offered a more excellent sacrifice. Why? Because this stone was before him. This message of Christ was before him and had called him to this faith. In the book of Revelation chapter 17, as we think about the stone before Joshua, the stone before time laid by the Lord of hosts. In Revelation chapter uh, 17 and verse 8, we read these words. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, I don't understand all that's in that verse. I know some things that it's not talking about, but I know this about what it is talking about, that there were some people whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. And they were not noted by the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And they didn't, he didn't have their names graven on the palms of his hand. And the reason he didn't is... They were never going to be given faith, and without faith it is impossible to please God, and he is just and right and, and uh, stands as a sovereign king to cast out all those that he knew not. Now, that's just God's sovereignty. You know, instead of complaining about that, I'm thankful for the great host that he will have assembled at his feet and that he lets us be identified in this life by being given faith to believe him as our only hope and our only savior and we depend only on his blood and righteousness and nothing else. That's our hope, the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
In the book of Ephesians, we've read many times in chapter 1 and verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So this stone had a lot to do before the foundation of the world. He was prepared, eternally prepared as a lamb. He's eternally prepared. He wrote down the names of those he would die for. He's eternally prepared. He did not, with intention, write down the names that he would not die for. He had a purpose that he chose all of his children in Christ before the foundation of the world. A lot of activity going on in eternity past. Always, his children have always been eternal children, loved by eternal love, justified by eternal justification, and righteous by eternal righteousness, imputed to them on the promise of what we find out here in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 9, that I will take care of the iniquity of the land in one day. Now, all the centuries that before Ezra, all the centuries before Zechariah, did not take care of the problem. And the slaughter of lambs went on by the thousands over the period of time. And all the other critters that they offered, and the gallons and gallons and bushels and bushels of wheat, and all the other stuff, did not take care of sin. In Titus, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. We've read that many times, but again, this is things that God did on the behalf of the church before there was ever a person created. Adam, the first man. Eve, the first woman. In the book of Titus, chapter 1. I'll never forget sitting by Nancy one time in a meeting, and I'm fumbling trying to find Titus. She says, all the T's are together. (laughs) Thank you. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. In hope of eternal life. Our hope is hinged on what God took care of before the foundation of the world. He laid the stone. It was before, before Abraham was, I am an always eternal present being, God. And in looking over at 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. We're not redeemed with silver and gold. You know, there's certain things in the Old Testament they, they redeemed with silver or gold. He says, that's not what we do in the church. The church has never been redeemed with silver and never been redeemed with gold. The church is only redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And as is brought out in uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, he he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, and you with wicked hands have taken and crucified and slain. Delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. 
So that stone was before Joshua. Now, Joshua the high priest would prefer that stone over anything else. The church prefers the stone. The church prefers Christ. All eyes are on him. All angelic eyes are upon him. Even the demon's eyes are upon him, knowing full well he will be their judge. The church's eyes are upon him. Even God the Father saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was seen of angels. He's been seen of shepherds. He's been seen of his apostles and disciples. He has been seen of the church. That's one of the glorious things about the covenant of grace. We get to see God. And he has us in the palm of his hand. We are, we are so close to him. He carries us all the way. There he's delivered Speaking as a metaphor, the Lord leads Zechariah to write of a stone that has eyes, and there's seven eyes. Now, there's a lot of numerology books that I wouldn't give a lick for. <laughs> I remember when I was down in Bible school in Dallas, Texas, that of, of one of the teachers, he had, his name was Emerson Witten, and he had a really dry wit. And he came in one day and went through a bunch of numerology and came up with some. He'd already practiced it probably for years. And we just sat there and laughed how people would manipulate numbers to come up with something that they wanted to be. But number seven means something. It means complete. It means the best. It means. So there are seven eyes here. And it doesn't necessarily mean the eyes like we have because... In the book of Zechariah, chapter 4. Would you look in Zechariah, chapter 4? Zechariah, chapter 4, and verse 10. We have these eyes mentioned here in Zechariah, chapter 4, and verse 10. And these eyes share with us about the providence of God and that his providence is sovereign, and it is everywhere in the world at the same time. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Notice this with me. It says, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, and shall, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now we've read earlier in chapter 1, I believe it was, about going to and fro. Those messengers went to and fro throughout the earth. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, again this is mentioned. Revelation, chapter 5. Would you turn there with me? Seven eyes. Revelation, chapter 5, and verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. Behold, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. 
There's something very valuable, very important about these seven eyes, these seven spirits of God, the complete number. The seven eyes are associated with God, all-powerful spirit. He is omniscient in this. He's perfect omniscience. He is not limited in any of his omniscience. It's been brought out a number of times as we heard those lessons in the book of Luke that he knew what people were thinking before they even brought it up. In fact, most of them never even brought it up. The Lord brought it up for them that they were talking about this woman. If he knew, he is completely omniscient in all things, all the time, eternally. There's nothing limited about him. So these seven eyes speak to us about his omniscience in all places, knowing what's going on in all the world, in fact, backing up one step and saying, he has purposed all things that are going on in the world all the time. Since the ages began, since creation, he purposed that stone being laid before the foundation of the world. He purposed that lamb being slain before the foundation of the world. He purposed in the eternal covenant of grace. He purposed that the names would be written down. He purposed that names would be not written down. He purposed all of these things in his eternal purpose. And here we find that it conveys the idea of his omniscience and his sovereignty And we have to emphasize once again that he is absolutely sovereign. There is no limitations on his sovereignty. He is not sovereign over everything but salvation. He is sovereign over salvation more than, well, I won't say that more than anything, but that's where it's evidenced for us. He is sovereign over salvation. He's sovereign over grace. He's sovereign over mercy. He's sovereign over his love. He is absolutely sovereign. And this perfect Seeing, being, knowing all things, and he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Purposefully, he does that very thing. And as we mentioned, these eyes of the angels, the saints, the patriarchs, Abraham believed God. I am just amazed that Abraham told those servants of his before he climbed up that mountain with his son, he says, we'll return. He didn't say, I'll return. He says, we'll return. What faith God had given him. Is it any more faith than God's people today saying, when I die, I will be with him? There's no more faith in that than what Abraham experienced. So God gives faith for his people to be able to say, when I leave this earth, when the last flutter of my eyes, when my heart quits beating, I'll be with him. That's his promise, and I, I claim that promise. All the prophets, all their eyes were towards Christ. All the patriarchs were towards Christ. All the saints have always been towards Christ. The angels and all the eyes are fixed on Christ. The eye of the Father is fixed on him, and the eye of the Spirit is fixed on him. He will testify of me. What a statement the Lord mentions about him. There's not going to be a lot of hoopla about the Spirit, the Spirit is going to testify of Him. That's what the Bible tells us. Well, as we look back there in the book of Zechariah, chapter 3 and verse 9, Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 9, the Scriptures tell us this, Upon one stone, you know, I, I, I have to emphasize that again, on one stone, just one, there's only one like this. This is Christ. 
There's not multiple saviors. There's one savior. There's one stone. There's one rock. Upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, we might ask, what is the graving going to be on that? Well, he answers that, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. Now, it was very interesting for me moving to the Dalles uh, many years ago and having a lot of uh, stories and lies and prefabrications told me about where the end of the Oregon Trail was. You know, Oregon City wants to claim that. And by legislative act, they have been given the privilege of that. But nobody has gone down and read the graving on that stone in City Park that believes that. Because right there, it was recorded by one of the men who came across the plains in a covered wagon, the end of the Oregon Trail. The graving is right there. And it's weathered, and it may weather more, but it's still there. And all the time that has gone on from the time of creation, before creation, in the halls of eternity, and I've mentioned, I ran into that term of the old fathers, the old eternity, and all of that, it has always been, I will take care of sin in one day. All of these practices here, (laughs) All these pictures here, uh, I, I would love to have 150 or 250 or 1,000 pictures of my grandmother. I have a couple. But having 1,000 pictures or 10,000 pictures doesn't make one live grandma. And all those pictures in the Old Testament brought out, glorious as we see, they all bring us to the New Testament in the work and purpose of Christ in salvation, in the deliverance of his people from their sin, the bondage of sin. He has delivered his people from that. So the Lord shares with us over here in the book of Zechariah chapter 3, and there in verse 9, Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. I will remove. And the church says, Amen. I will remove the iniquity of that land. That's good, but I'll do it in one day. (coughs) The centuries of sacrifices only pointed to this one day that we read about. The Lord of hosts says, I will remove the iniquities of that land in one day. And the Lord of hosts, who is the Almighty, cried on that day, John chapter 19 and verse 30, it is finished. The fulfillment of this passage of scripture is mentioned in the book of John chapter 19 when he cried from the cross, it is finished. What did he say right there? I have removed the iniquity of that land in one day. Now, on the promise of that, a God that cannot lie and is unchangeable and cannot be moved, on the promise that God would do that, Abel was saved. Abraham was saved. Moses was saved. David was saved. All the Old Testament believers were saved on the promise that God would fulfill that, and God cannot lie, just as he said here, in that day I'll take care of it. 
and he paid the price of the sin of his people, and it is removed. I like that word removed. It is removed. It's not found any longer. So let's look at a couple of verses in Isaiah 43 and verse 25. Turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. As we look at this wonderful passage of Scripture, the prophet Isaiah with his eyes on Christ, prophet Isaiah with his eyes on the Messiah, on the Lord, on the Lord's ministry, on the Lord's work, on the Lord's promise that he would take care of sin in that day. He shares with us in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will, rem- will not remember thy sins. Now that's blotted out. That's taken care of. That's put away. The Lord will take care of his people's sins, the sin of his people in that day, and they will be remembered no more. There will not be anybody that God saved through Christ Jesus the Lord that will stand before him and answer for one lie. Noted or not, known or unknown. That's interesting. Over there, when we were studying the book of Leviticus, for those sins that we commit and we didn't even know to commit, they're all taken care of too. There's In the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, he took care of all of that. And he took care of the overt ones. He took care of them all. So, as it says here, and I'll remember them no more. By the blood of Christ, he will remember them no more. They're paid for in full by the blood of Christ. As we read there in verse 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. Now, there's a passage of scripture over there in the New Testament, and I failed to put it in my notes, but it talks about all of the disciples forsaking him. Peter's the most noted one, but they all did. And the scripture, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, that he would suffer alone. He's in this by himself. And by himself, he appeared in these last days, he appeared by himself, he should take care of, of sin. Hebrews chapter 9, But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So we have a stone out here. His name is Christ. He has the markings. Hands and feet have been marred by nails. He has a mark in his side. He sits at the right hand of the Father, victorious over all sin. And he said, I wrote it before the foundation of the world. I promised to do it. I'm the testimony that it's been taken care of. And that one day, I put away sin. And the church is mine by inheritance, by birth, by finding it, and all the ways. So, and one other verse of scripture over in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17. This is a quote from the Old Testament. How odd is that in the New Testament? (laughs) And their sins and iniquities will I remember 
no more. Now, let's go back over to the book of Zechariah chapter 3 for just a moment. And the outcome of this, the outcome of this, the outcome of the whole chapter, the outcome of the, of the first three chapters of the book of Zechariah are summed up in verse 10 of chapter 3. That's what we're appreciating and enjoying right now. Since our sins have been put under the blood, not to be remembered anymore, what do we get to do? Verse 10, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall you call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. I get to rest in peace in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. I get to rest in peace. God is pleased with the sacrifice. He's no longer angry anymore. His anger was abated at the cross. And I'm reminded of Solomon's reign here in this verse of Scripture. Every man got to sit under his own vine or under his own fig tree. It was a great time of peace in the reign of Solomon. Great time of peace. How he settled everything. It was just wonderful. And that's how the Lord Jesus has taken care of it. There's a great time of peace. The only peace that we don't have is in our flesh. You know, it's still not resting. But the spirit that God gives us in the new birth is resting in Christ with the full assurance that sin has been put away and the full assurance that since sin has been put away, we'll be invited, as he says in the book of Matthew, welcome to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world.